You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Austin. And of course, we're here with Mike, as per usual, your two favorite Salty Witchy hosts. Yes. Are we favorite, really? Yep. That seems like a lot of work. Okay, tonight, we're just going to kind of dive right in. We do have some listener questions. Yes, we do. Okay, and you've got those ready, right, to go? Yeah. Right? Okay, all right. We'll get to those. I have not read them yet. They're still unread. Um, actually, you know, let's just let's just knock those out right now. Yeah. That, that gives us a minute at the end, because I have a couple of things that I would like to pontificate on. Pontificate. After, okay. after we get done discussing our subject tonight. All right. Oh, it's a novel. Okay. They, they usually are. Y'all send in novels, and I don't mind it, but... No, it's kind of nice because that gives us extra detail. Yeah. We can answer you better. So it says, hi there, Austin and Mike. I hope this email finds you all well. They gave me their name, which we were not going to use. Okay. Um, well, they said feel free to use it. Okay, then go ahead. Cool. My name is Nat. Uh, they, she pronouns. Feel free to use it. And I have some questions about animal signs and or animal symbolism after some recent experiences. I apologize for this being a long one. I tried to keep it relevant. ADHD may have sabotaged a bit, though, so no promises. I feel that on a spiritual level. A little background context. I'm a 24-year-old non-binary lesbian living in rural Tennessee, also ADHD and autistic, and I mention all of this because it is it has a huge influence on my life in general, most certainly on my practice. I still consider myself a very new because it's only been in the last eight months or so that I have found lovely people such as yourself to learn from, and Aww. through them, resources that weren't all woo-woo, raise your vibe to achieve 5D. I like that. Or, if you don't cast a circle, you will die. You won't die. You'll be fine. So in the last few months of my practice, it's been very land-based, which is good. I live on a horse farm that's all half-wooded, so I have been hanging out with a lot of trees and forbs and grasses and skunks and armadillos and whatnot. Other than that, I have been reading The Crooked Path, thank you for the book recommendation, and just generally trying to get to my get to my practice established. I did reach out to Hecate two months ago, now just because her name had been nagging me somehow, and why not? I heard another podcast and practitioners talk about her before, but I just really haven't been interested in deity work. Thank you, Religious Trauma. Much less particular deities until I reached out. Long story short, I've been absolutely amazed and flabbergasted and can't wait to start keeping her keys, which I got the same day as The Crooked Path. It's a good book. Moving into question territory. Over the last few weeks, I have been super keyed into the vultures around here and generally just aware of them, which I usually am not. After watching them for weeks and counting them on my drives just a few days ago, I pointed out a couple of the vultures in a tree on my property and was like, hey, Hecate, if you want to give me a sign, do it with those guys. But also, I'm not demanding a sign. I guess I just doubt that I've ever seen a sign before and want to have a reference point. Then, for three days, I saw three vultures circling overhead while working out in the barn, and yesterday one vulture landed in the field and I saw it hopping to the forest's edge. It looked injured, so I grabbed a feed pan and my hydro flask, don't forget to stay hydrated, all you beautiful witches, and take a hike back to offer to the dude some water. I went down to do night check on the animals, and the vulture was in my barn, perched on some lumber for farming. The barn is a good hike across the 15-acre field, so I was baffled that this little guy had wandered all the way back from the fence. Got up today, and that same vulture, looks like an injured right wing, was still hanging out in the barn and stayed there keeping an eye on me the entire time I was bringing horses in and out to eat. I'm about to go back down for the night and check again. I'm curious if it's still there, if I can catch it to bring it to the poor thing to the wildlife rehab in the morning. 
all this to ask, how do you approach interpreting signs from animal spirits and how do you figure out the meaning behind significant animal encounters? I know a butterfly is sometimes just a butterfly, and in my case, this sign might have just been because I wasn't specific and just wanted to see a sign for a reference as to what they are like. But generally, when you have animals showing up as signs, how do you figure out what they mean? Functionally, vultures are sort of the animal's world's crossroads slash liminal spirit, so they make sense as an animal of Hecate, right? That kind of leads me to my secondary question. Do we okay, want to well, stop there? On. Let's stop there. Okay. Let's get let's get one answer out of the way or a couple answers out of the way before we move on. <clears throat> okay, so the, the first thing I I would volunteer in the, uh, to this is that when it comes to the the question around like okay is is it a sign or isn't it really the only way that you can uh, that that really is to be honest that that is all UPG. When it comes down to it, like only you can really determine if that's a sign or not. Mm. Um, now, I will say, having said that, I, w I will add that this particular situation does seem to me to be more likely to be a sign because you asked for one. Mm -hmm. I think the distinction there when we're talking about signs coming from spirit and deity is, did you ask for a sign? Have you asked for validation of some sort, you know, or are you just getting just random things? Because mm. as you mentioned, as, as listener, you know, as this listener mentioned, um, Sometimes a butterfly is just a butterfly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, a bird flying overhead is just a bird flying overhead, right? But uh, but you saw these vultures. You asked Hecate if she would potentially give you a sign with these these particular birds. Mm -hmm. And then you now you've had some very, uh, I would say, significant uh, kinds of kinds of things happening around, particularly with this one vulture. So I, I would definitely, I would interpret this as a sign. Do you have any thoughts on what, what the meaning might possibly be, Austin? Vultures are liminal spirits, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, they It would make sense that they would have... That, that Hecate would choose to use that, to, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Just because they, they kind of go around, they pick the carcasses of, of the things, and there you go. Mm -hmm. So I would most definitely say that. I usually tell my students that if you have to ask if it's a sign, it's probably not a sign. Um, now... Like Mike said, if you've asked for a sign from a specific deity and you were that specific where you were like, those ones, those things, then yeah, it's going to be a sign. But again, if a butterfly crosses your path and you have to go, is that a sign from great aunt Fifi? Probably not. It's just a butterfly trying to get some nectar. Um, okay, so I, so I do I do have an observation on that, okay? Mm -hmm. So... And I, and I want you to tell me what your your opinion on this mm -hmm. is, okay? So it's it's been my experience over the years, just through like my personal interactions or, or these moments I've had that have been mine, but then also in uh, talking about and sharing these kinds of experiences with many other practitioners, that when you have a moment like this where you see something, particularly like an animal, kind of mm -hmm. a sign, right? Um, a lot of the time people, when they have these experiences, they get so focused on what they actually saw. Like, I saw this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge component, right? That's the sign, right? You saw something, right? You saw the sign. But um, but I think that a lot of people in that moment, they forget that these kinds of signs, if it is something that actually does hold deeper meaning, that it also is going to hit you on an emotional level. 
And if you're sensitive enough, if you are paying attention enough and aware enough, it also hit you on a physical level. Yes. Um, I think that these are very often moments where like you see the thing and then, I mean, this is just a for instance, but this is something that happens to me a lot. When I see something like this or I have an experience like this with an animal spirit um, or, or an animal that is, you know, in the process of giving me spiritual message is I also usually will get like a sense of like um, almost like pressure in my body, mm-hmm. you know, and there will be an immediate emotional response. Yeah. Um, you know, and then from there, I then have the opportunity then to kind of dig into, okay, logically now, what could this possibly mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I find it's important to like remind people that, you know, these are messages that hit us on multiple levels. Yeah. It's not just about your, your, what you physically see and then that process of analysis. Yeah. No, I, I completely 100% agree with that. I mean, um, depending on what type of things are happening, I don't necessarily get a pressure on body. Sometimes I do, depending on things. Um, but I'll normally get chills, but it's like through the back and nape of my neck, you know? Um, so no, I a hundred percent agree with that. Okay. Um, one other cool thing I wanted to mention about Vulture, mm-hmm. for those of you who listen to the podcast, who, uh, like to work with spiritual allies in the process of doing like cleansing and purification, mm-hmm. work with Vulture. Yeah. As an animal spirit um, on a spiritual, uh, what would be the word? On a spiritual medicinal level, um, spirit medicine level, um, vulture is actually associated with cleanliness Mm -hmm. because they devour, they consume the basically death mm-hmm. they they clear away decay and rot and death so that the environment uh around our, our planet around where they live stays clean mm-hmm. um you know that's a function that a lot of scavengers yeah serve right in just like our just a very mundane ecosystem kind of way right oh yeah well i mean vulture would have connections to hecate borboroforba i was i was wondering if you're going to throw definitely. out Bor- borboroforba uh, yeah. well and on top so. of that um uh dr brannon talks about in uh, multiple books, and especially, um, I was flipping through Entering Hecate's Cave earlier. Um, uh, it talks about avian companions. Mm. So, a lot of the times, the avian companions, you know, not avians as in like the, the aliens, like avians as in like birds, yeah. um, they're usually psychopompic because they can walk on ground yeah. and they fly in the sky. Um, and so, when I was doing Covino work, um, the avian companion that came through f- for me was owl okay which does have clear ties to the iberian hecate Mm -hmm. Uh, unlike vultures i do want to be clear vulture is not an animal that would have historic association oh yeah no to hecate um but i don't think that in this particular instance that makes this any less meaningful this to me i think is a perfect example of how um the symbolism is is very personal yes, to this agree. listener, but also I think that the gods are also uh, the gods are not just tied to their place of origin. Well, exactly. I was like, they, they, thank you. That's a good way to put it. I was going to say they're going to work with the other spirits and the animals and the things that are there, mm-hmm. right? And like, if you're living in an area of the world where you know you don't have who the hell knows, right? Whatever animal it might be, you know, say the sign is elephants, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're living in 
you know, an area of the world where like, well, we don't really get elephants here. So I guess that means I, I can't really work with this God or I'm mm-hmm. not likely to get a sign. Yeah, that's bullshit. That God will find some other means of giving yeah. you communication. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are certain things, especially when it comes to Hecate that, um, I don't necessarily associate with her vultures. I most definitely would have that UPG connection there because of their process in the world. But like Ravens, I don't necessarily get, even though Raven is psychopompic in nature. Yeah. You know? Okay. So so yeah, moving on to the second part. Uh, Did we answer all that? I think we did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That kind of leads me to my secondary question. What does the process look like for actually building your own quote unquote metaphysical dictionary? Is it just a shit ton of writing down odd experiences and anything that seems strangely notable? Or is it more English class, pick apart this novel and tell me every mental health issue the author had in their lifetime kind of sleuthing? I know y'all are going to say it's a little bit more personal, but also how? Maybe I'm just autistic, but I don't know how I would figure out what an animal slash object means to me unless I've ha- I have had some sort of interaction or relationship with it. I don't exactly know how to make my confusion here make sense, but using a different example, if you have never seen a hare before and you have no clue what they are and you see one and figure it out that it's not a rabbit, then you see them everywhere and one ends up making a burrow under your front porch after just figuring out what the fuck a hair was just a week prior. At that point, do you just research the hell out of that animal and figure out what its historical slash cultural significance has been for other people? Would there be anything personal to even pull from that situation? That's I'm, a lot. Yeah, I'm going to say... Um, go ahead. Both. It's it, it is always going to be a sense of both because historically you are going to research cultures in the area that would have had associations there. You know, you're going to research those things, but also you can, every culture will have different associations with different things. I mean, vultures do have connections in Hellenic pantheon sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, so it's both. You want, you know, using your hair as an example, you know, this hair, hair decided to burrow underneath your front porch. Okay. Uh, just on an anatomical level, biologically, hairs burrow. That's what they do. They make their home. So it decided to make its home in your home. Mm-hmm. Hairs are also connected to a myriad of different magical traditions. And researching the history of that would lead you down a whole bunch of rabbit holes. And then it's just a matter of finding, like... Well, they don't want rabbit holes. They want hair holes. Oh, my God. It would lead you down a whole different realm of sleuthing rather um did okay. I say it right no you're you're good okay no i i agree with you i think that it does need to be a combination of both when we talk about how we apply these things personally though i think it's probably fair to say that in the process of researching how other groups of people have come yes. to view these things and i'm going to make another example of the hair mm-hmm. right um we need to remember that Older cultures, you know, uh, whoever they may have been, whoever the people were, right, that lived in that area of the world that maybe were the first to acknowledge that particular spirit or that Mm -hmm. particular animal as a spirit, right? Um, A lot of the time or or a lot of the uh, meaning that is assigned to animal spirits is really based primarily on the observations of the animal's behavior. Yes. Right. So again, so looking again at your uh, the experience that you had with hair as you know as an, as an example, hairs in many traditions are going to have very close ties to the earth mm-hmm. and the um, seasons, right throughout mm-hmm. the year. Um, 
processes around creation and fertility, right? Now, if we look at the reasons for why, right, we have a couple of things going on, right? We've got, they burrow, right? Yeah. They're, they, they live, they sleep, they make their homes underground. They mm-hmm. are physically connected to the earth, mm-hmm. right? They are um, prolific in the way that they breed, right? Mm-hmm. Hares and rabbits both have, breed a lot. You know, they, they have lots and lots of babies, right? So again, we see concepts there of fertility and abundance mm-hmm. right um beyond that we're going to see issues uh or or indications of the the seasons there are many hairs that actually will change their coat right in the winter they mm-hmm. actually will many of them their the color of their coat will change you know you've got like the snowshoe hair right that will turn white yeah. in winter and then molt and turn back to go back to brown in the mm-hmm. summer and it's you know a means of camouflage naturally yeah. right but but this change this change that we see is something that again can be an indication of oh changing of the seasons right the hair's coat has begun to change we must know that the weather is now getting colder right so so that's an example with that particular animal um, you know, and so I think in relating these things personally, the first thing that I would probably recommend if you're looking at the how I would be is to sit down and actually start to form uh, a list, get a journal and actually start to document the experiences that you have that that strike you as being a little more than just the mundane day to day kinds of things. Agreed. Right. The things you see, the animals that you connect with, these kinds of things. Right. And then to, to sit down, you know, and to obviously, again, do a little bit of research into, okay, what do other people think about this? Okay, now mm-hmm. that I've, I've maybe kind of have acknowledged the others, the kind of the elders of this kind of information, um, now what does this mean to me? Mm-hmm. Right, how can I apply this to myself? And document all of that. That's really gonna be the only way that you're gonna be able to assemble something like a metaphysical dictionary mm-hmm. or like a personal kind of, um, well, yeah, right? Um, yeah. And you don't need to, I mean, you, you, you talk about, you know, like getting really super academic and analytical about this and, and where, you know, you might benefit from a little bit of that. You don't need to go overboard with that. I mean, it's possible to do that to the extent that it loses all spiritual value, mm-hmm. right? It becomes a, like a drudgery, a process of, of rationale and, and, and logic that really kind of kills the, the emotional and spiritual connection for you. So, you know, that, that's going to, I think, very person to person, right? I agree. You and I are like that, right? Like, I tend to be, like, very academic. Like, I got to pick this apart at every little tiny piece in detail. And you're kind of like, eh, it does this and this works for me. Blah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So. Um, and, and part of that's just just different personalities, really. Yeah. I, I, I will go down all manner of research when it comes to, like, vocal anatomy and stuff like that and mm-hmm. science around that. Yeah. And I will obsess over it. And I will be able to tell you oh, well, I can hear this is happening, which means this is probably happening in the voice, and I can go crazy on it. When it comes to spiritual stuff, I'm just like, huh, uh, okay, this thing, boop. Yeah. And um, it's just everyone's going to be different, and that's okay. And you actually kind of like, it, you beautifully answered the, 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 the second part of this. Oh, actually. okay. Oh. Yeah. I guess the TLDR of that last part is basically trying to start my own metaphysical dictionary, but have only the words, no description or definition. How do you go about defining those words? Okay. Well, there you so, go. Okay. There you go. All right. Forgive me. I'm old. What is TLDR? I don't know. I see that pop up a lot. And I, uh, as soon as I started to see that pop up in like social kinds of situations and stuff i like that was when i knew i'm like okay i'm i'm old I, i'm old i i'm no longer hip i'm gonna usually 
Too long didn't read. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, we, we read it, so, okay. Eh. Anyway, so they say, they, they go on to say, uh, oh, wait, come back. Oh, no, where'd you go? I swiped, and it went away. And Oh, no, you bring, bring, bring back. Bring back. There you are now. Why, why do? All right. So... I'll probably write it again soon with a rural cemetery question I had before this one came up, but thank you so much for taking the time to read this, even if it doesn't make it on an episode. If you have any questions you want me to answer for more clarity, I'd be happy to send y'all another email. Really thank you both again so much, all caps, for doing what you do. Y'all have helped me out immensely, and I appreciate every ounce of love and patience and care y'all put into your podcast and other content. Speaking of which, I need to look at your class schedule online because I have... I have them offered online. I'd love to take your Weekend Witch course or anything y'all have planned for noobs like me. I mean, beginner witches. Thank you. Oh, and they send pictures. There's the vulture. Oh, cool. It's a little grainy, but that's because well, that's okay. Things are are not well. I mean, they, they were probably moving, right? Yeah. So you're good. Okay, so, cool. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, thank you, thank Nat. You Nat. Yeah. Okay. So this one, not so long. Awesome. Well, no, I mean, the long ones are fine. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I just. Sometimes when I'm reading them, it's like everything starts to get mushed together, and I'm like, "Oh." That's why I, I. That's why I stop you kind of periodically. Thank you. Because I'm like, okay, let's look okay, at let's. Like let's Austin's getting on the roll. Okay, well, no, no, I, I do that. I do that for me too because I want to make sure <laughs> that we answer all those pieces. Yeah. Okay. So, so hey there. I'm not going to say their name because they did not give us permission to say their name. So, hey there, I've been practicing witchcraft and paganism seriously for the past three years. I've always studied as a kid, but never did anything substantial. I'm at a point where my spellcraft is stagnant and I'm having a hard time coming up with creative ways to cast spells. I work with correspondences and plants slash elemental slash spirit allies, but I'm so tired of the chime, candle, and incantation thing. My spells typically work out in favor, however, it feels like my practice has lost luster. I want to dive into more complex and creative spells, but don't know where to start. Perhaps I need to return to the basics before I level up my spell game. I have different ideas on what to do, but I don't know where to start. Love the podcast and thank you for your help and insight. Okay, so I'm always going to tell everyone if you're feeling stagnant, the best place to start back is the beginning. Um, because <laughs> I, I really do. Like, no, you're good. No, you're good. I, I'm laughing because I was going to go a totally different direction with my answer, but go finish. Go well, ahead. and that's okay because a lot of the time when we're stagnant, if you go back to the beginning and you just start to get a handle on some of the more th- the, the things that you already have a really good handle on. So, for example, if you're already going back, um, if you already have a really good handle on grounding, centering, and raising power, and you go back and you really just focus on that, you're going to notice how much you've grown, which will give you a little bit of a confidence boost. And that's why I say go back to the beginning. It's not because you need a revamp as much as it's just it helps you realize where you started and where you are now. Um, now, as you move forward, um, what I'm going to say is understand that not every spell needs to uh, use a candle, right? Um, I do not use a lot of chime candles because chime candles don't feel like big boy candles or big girl candles to me or big they them candles to me. Um, Because when I'm doing a spell, when I'm doing a working, there's work. That's why it's called spell work. You know, a chime candle will burn for anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, two and a half hours. And and it all depends on environmental factors and all this other stuff. And so that's why I don't use a lot of chime candles. I use them for quick little like boops and offerings. Um, so I'd say if you want to still continue working with candles, start doing some things with uh, different types of candles. Look into different types of figure candles, how to load them. Maybe look into making your own candles, figuring out how to dip candles, pour candles, all that other stuff. 
Now, if you're just sick and tired of candles in general because everyone uses candles in, in, in magic because it's easy and it's accessible, I get it. Um, expand your horizon and start to do things without them. You know, if you're going to be doing a healing spell, chances are you don't need to add more fire to someone who's already inflamed. So start working with water. Get creative. Make a poppet. Um, work with stones. Do something like that. Um, and understand that, it and again, intention isn't everything. You mentioned you are well along with your correspondences, and that's great. Intention is not everything, most definitely. However, if you can take some random idea and go, okay, I'm going to take this spell that I saw in Mayfair Witches or American Horror Story Coven, right? I'm going to take this idea that they have and I'm going to see how I can take that and apply it to real life. How could I actually utilize this in craft? Remember, there is a difference between Hollywood witchcraft and real witchcraft, yes, but you can take those ideas and use them almost as like a prompt to help you delve further and expand your own magical repertoire, if you will. Okay. So that's my answer. What are you going to say, Mike? Um, I think that there's a couple of things going on here with this person's practice. And the first thing that I want to say is that I, I want to talk a little bit, and this might seem like an aside, but it, it is it is connected. Okay. I think there's this idea in the practice of witchcraft that with enough time that we get to a point where we start to like get, you know, like we're advanced, right? Like we do advanced spells or advanced magic. And I, I really, as, as, as fun as that is, and in no way am I trying to say that there aren't advanced kinds of things, right? Uh, or things that you do kind of need to work your way up to. I think that in the process of actually looking at the logistics of your spells, um, you're going to really, to be honest, probably always kind of fall back somewhat on what you've, what you've done. Right? You might find slightly new new ways to twist your candle magic, but it might always be candle magic, mm -hmm. right? You know, I guess the thing with witchcraft is it's important to remember that, yes, it should be fun, and yes, it should keep you excited, but the goal is also to make sure that you're personally still growing. Yes. And that you're getting results with your magic, right? Yes. Um, a lot of people want the flash and the passion and the excitement. Those are really nice. And, you know, and you will still have those moments. Absolutely. But, uh, but at the end of the day, you want your spell to work. That's the important part. Right. Um, and if you are good at doing something, do the thing. Right. Um, now to answer their, their other part of their question. Okay. You know, or the actual question that they asked, I'm going to say that you should study chaos magic. I think that you should incorporate chaos magic into your practice because chaos magic is all about uh, not doing the old school traditional standard shit. Yes. You know, um, and there are a lot of really good sources of information out there. I would recommend first that you look into the work of Peter Carroll. Peter, last name is spelled C-A-R-R-O-L-L. -L, uh, and good books are going to be Condensed Chaos and Liber Null and Psychonaut. Um, they're both, uh, neither of them is a, is a big read, so they're, they're easy to get through. Um, the, the writing in them, the philosophies and things that are expressed in those books and just in Chaos Magic in general can be very uh, beefy kinds of, of information. And so um, I will say, though, though the books are not big, you do probably want to kind of pace yourself so that you can properly kind of digest everything that you're, you're reading. Um, but chaos magic is going to be really beneficial. And um, I think it's something that is certainly going to help you to kind of break out of what you feel right now is kind of a rut in your practice. Yeah. 
uh, particularly when you are looking at kind of getting away from just, you know, good old, you know, candle magic, right? Like I, when I do chaos magic, I'm trying to think the last time I, I have not employed candles in any of the chaos magic workings that I've done. And it's been a really long time because when it comes to chaos magic, there are just so many options. Um, yeah. Chaos magic is great. Um, it is not just, you know, hopefully you listen to the mini episode on chaos magic. It's not just using what you have. Um, well, if you read those books, if you check out those books or that author I mentioned, Peter Carroll, um, or Phil Hine, H-I-N-E, Phil Hine, if you look at the information coming from those two authors and actually do a little bit of reading on what they've produced, you, you actually will move into a legit, a legitimate chaos magic practice um, where you'll actually know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because though it has the word chaos in the title, it, it is not just about what I do in the moment and what I make do with what I have. Like it does still take a little bit of forethought and, uh, and, and you know, well, yeah, you know, knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, Mike is really into the chaos magic and I'm not, not into it. Cause I, I, you're not, you're not, not, I'm not, not into it. Um, I just, I very much. You like order and ceremony too much, I think, to really be a chaos magician. No, I do chaos stuff. I'm not saying you don't, but you you like you like the ceremony. I do like the ceremony. And there's absolutely ceremony to chaos magic, but it's not ceremony like like Wiccan ceremony. Most of the stuff that I do now is not Wiccan ceremony. But it's still relatively high like high ceremonial magic kinds of stuff. I don't know, you haven't been in any of the rituals I've done lately. Yeah. I know you. Huh. Did we answer those questions? Yes, we did. All right. Okay. Well, let's. Mike being a bitch, everyone. Well, yeah, they know me. <laughs> um, what do they say? It takes one to know one. Uh, there you go. Very, uh, very like mature, like schoolyard play. I rubber your glue. Whatever you say to me bounces off of me and sticks to you. Oh my god! Did y'all hear that? He just hexed me. Oh, I've that was been, a bad tongue. Pop. I've been crossed. The tongue pop thing is, like, so early 2000s. Can we just retire that right now? That's just, like, that's about as as new and exciting as the death drop. I can't do the death drop. Yeah, me me either. I'd probably break a hip. Yeah, I'd die. Anyway, all right, so our topic tonight, our actual topic for the podcast tonight, uh, by listener request, is sex magic. Oh. And I want to say right now, if you've gotten to this point uh, in the podcast, that we are going to be having, like like adult conversation about this you really we have to like we we can't we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna spend the evening utilizing euphemism and and childish nicknames for things um we're we're gonna and we're gonna put things out there in a fairly medical way and uh you know we're not gonna get too raunchy and filthy because we don't know ultimately who listens to this podcast but um but we are going to be talking about adult things that's what the explicit buttons for and well that exactly that's why we always check our podcast as explicit but i do want to give you just kind of a heads up to our listeners if you are someone who likes to absentmindedly listen to this podcast maybe when you're at home and you've got young children in the background you may maybe you want to put in some headphones for this one okay um all right, so Austin, let's talk about what sex magic is because I think people hear that term and they go to one or two places. I think that they either 
Well, you know, that, that's okay. I, I don't even know what, what people might think, you know, but wh- how, how would you identify sex magic? Sex magic is the use of the sexual energy and power raised by two consenting adults or yourself to... Well, it could be more than two consenting exactly. adults, right? Two or as long more. As, as long as they're consenting. <laughs> One or more consenting adults. There you go. Um, All right. To amplify a focus in a ritualistic manner magically okay so would you say that the physical act of sex is would be could we say that that would be something that could be like like a a channel to raise power of course yeah like or okay okay gotcha okay or or i would say even like a tool to heighten focus yeah okay cool all right okay um how how does sex magic work? I think that's that's the other thing I think that really trips people up a lot. And along those lines, I want to kind of say that sex and masturbation are things that I think ground us purely in the physical, right? These are very, like, these are solid. Like, this is a physical thing you're yeah. doing with your physical body, right? Um and along those lines, you know, I want to clarify, you know, that when we are looking at the logistics, like the steps to something like this, you know, I, I always kind of throw out the analogy, and this is going to seem like a silly one maybe, but but if you want to climb a tree, that you don't immediately reach for the highest branch, right? You yeah. start at the base of the trunk. Yeah. Which is, I think, good advice when you're looking at any kind of magical practice, because at the be- beginning of any kind of ritual or spell, the first thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that you start with a good ground. Yes. You need to have good foundation. And that's not to say that you're not going to remove yourself from that grounded position. You will have to. As you're raising power and you're doing what you need to do, you are stepping away from that ground. But it can be so important to have a good ground at the beginning of any kind of working because that is going to help you to be present. It's going to help you to make sure that your focus is on entirely what you're doing in the moment, that you're less inclined to have random things getting in the way or distracting you. Right? So... Sex and magic is, is I think, very beneficial for a lot of practitioners, a lot of people, because it, it will automatically ground you mm-hmm. right at the beginning, right? You are, are totally about that base physical thing, right? Um, and then from there, through, through the act, through the process, then you're doing the other things that are going to like help you to raise energy, right? Oh, okay. So, so is there anything you would add to that? No. Sex magic is very much a very grounded practice. Um, it has to be and that's why sex magic works is because you're grounding that energy into the physical world yep exactly grinding something all right um to to move beyond that i want to talk about things that happen to us when we are in the process of sex magic, when we're, when we're utilizing sex magic in our spiritual work. Okay. So, and I mean, and again, talking about the physical first, right? So we know that when we're engaged in any kind of sexual act, right? That we are like our, our breath, our heart rate, our blood pressure increase, Mm -hmm. right? There's a whole bunch of biochemical changes that go on in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Our nervous systems, uh, fire up and engage in ways that they don't normally, Right. I mean, all of these things are happening on uh, a physical level. Mm-hmm. Right. And and those are things that are helping us on a very physical, on a very um, sensory level. Right. To to kind of raise and heighten energy and focus. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and talking about focus, I want to um, I, I want to be really clear about that because I think that this is one of the things that again kind of creates some confusion for people. I think that a lot of people, when we talk about raising energy and power through utilizing sex magic, there's this idea that um, that the act itself, that the sex is actually the focus, or that the orgasm associated with sex the climax mm -hmm. that that is the focus right and that's not the case at all no not in sex magic right. um the focus should never be the orgasm or the climax okay um if your focus is only about that physical gratification that's really likely to be all that you're going to get yeah um so it's important, I think, for people who want to effectively utilize sex magic to train themselves to be able to, at least in the process of doing a working, right? Any, anytime you're not doing working, I mean, my God, you, you do do whatever you want, right? Um, or, or handle this, your, this, this aspect of your life however you want. But when you're doing sex magic, you need to train yourself to remain wholly focused on the outcome of the magic, the goal of the spell, uh huh. Right. Would you agree? I would or is there anything you would add to that? No. You you need to remain focused on it. But also, if you're if it's one or more if it's two or more people, mm -hmm. then everyone needs to be involved with it. Usually, because that's just going to amplify it. Yep. Now, if you are a witch in a relationship with a mundane person, meh, you could probably get away with it. Yeah. Um, however, if it's two practitioners together, both need to be involved. Well, I would I would say in the context so in the context of sex magic, if that's being done, I I would think that that would be particularly between two practitioners, mm -hmm. but even with just one practitioner and say an, an, a partner that was not not a practitioner, mm -hmm. I would say that that conversation would be some component of the the conversation maybe around consent. Yes. Right, because you you really you do need to make sure if you're you know if you've got somebody else involved, you do need to make sure absolutely that they are completely like also one hundred percent in alignment with what you're trying to achieve. Yes, with this, right? Otherwise, you you're you're you know you're going in with from the beginning with fifty percent. Yeah. Right, and what the hell's the point? Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. And again, I think that's that's a very good catch. That's a very good thing to clarify that yes, that like like that is absolutely a conversation or, or should be a component of consent mm -hmm. right um yeah do that you know if you are with a partner let's say like if you're in a, in a relationship someone that you are sexually active with consistently um you know whether they are a practitioner or not it's probably a good idea if you decide hey we're gonna have some sexy times tonight right it's probably a good idea that you let them know like are you okay like you have that conversation right like mm -hmm. like tonight as we're doing this i just want you to know that i'm going to be focusing my energy toward this particular thing mm -hmm. as a component of this working are you okay maybe doing the same mm -hmm. right um you know if if they're like no i'm not then you probably need to say okay don't worry about it we're just gonna maybe we'll, we'll still have like a sexual thing you know we'll mm -hmm. still have some some sexy time tonight but i will do this on my own maybe tomorrow yeah right you know and yeah and that that's that that needs to be that's an ethical and adult way to handle a situation yes. like that okay so um, consent is sexy yes it is Yes. Um, so talking about, I mentioned the significance and how we need to remember that orgasm is not the focus when you are doing sex work. Okay, or sex work, excuse me. Sex magic for spiritual work. <laughs> um, anyway, so talking about that a little bit more. Okay, we're talking about orgasm. Okay. Um, 
Well, orgasm is the release. Well, exactly. And that's kind of what I, where I was going to go with this, okay? I want to clarify that when you're doing sex magic, when you're, when you're practicing sex magic, that it's important. There does need to be orgasm. Yes. Um, and I think that 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 is, you're you're absolutely right the way that you said that really kind of bottom lined that like you're you you want to get to that point because that is going to be how you basically fire off the energy that you've raised yeah right well it's like um, when you're in a when you're in a ritual or a ceremony of any kind there's a part where you start to raise power and everyone's focused and is aware of what's going on whether you're milling whether you're coning whether you're spiral dancing whether you're just chanting dancing singing whatever you're doing everyone is aware this is the focus of what we have to do mm-hmm. and so as you're doing that and you're and you're moving that energy and that energy is raising you'll feel this amount of energy raise and then lower and then raise and lower it it just gets bigger and bigger and more concentrated and more condensed. And then finally, the person leading the ritual is the one who has to go, we've raised enough power up. And then usually directs that energy up and out. Mm-hmm. Or down and out. Or wherever it needs to go. Yeah. Um, and it's no different in sex magic. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, to, to carry that on a bit further, and I, I want to, again, I'm going to talk about another component of why I'm bringing this up or mentioning this. But I, I want to say that along the lines of um, making sure that that orgasm is achieved. That means everybody that's involved uh-huh. needs to have an orgasm, you know. And I, I'm not m- mentioning that. I'm not. I'm not clarifying that or throwing that out there because I want to try to stir any trouble. But uh, to all the men out there, who the male practitioners who decide that you want to utilize sex magic in your practice, you need to make sure your sex partner gets off too. Uh huh. Otherwise, you wasted all that time, and not working is probably not going to materialize in the way that you want it to. Um, so do take care of your sex partners to all the men um, and for all of the the ladies and uh, anybody else, the non-binary folk, all those other people, um, please make sure that if you are going to decide to use sex magic, that you are making, you need to make sure that your needs are taken care of too. Yes. You, you need to also achieve orgasm. Otherwise that spell is never going to crack off the way you need it to. Okay. So uh, yeah, just something there. I wanted to talk about this a little bit more because I've noticed that in past years, as I've had discussions with other occultists, other people that actually employ or use sex magic in their practice, that there's this idea that orgasm doesn't need to be achieved to effectively work sex magic. And I just, I don't, I, I disagree with that. I don't know that I, I believe that based on the metaphysically, the way that energy flows. Right. I mean, and I'm basing that basically on like, so We've talked on the podcast before on other episodes about how all the different elements of our being all kind of overlap, right? Mm-hmm. How things that happen to our physical body will also overlap onto our spiritual body, mm-hmm. right? And vice versa, right? So to me, it's like, okay, if I want to see something fire off, if I want to see a, a large amount of energy that I've raised sent out to manifest or create something, there needs to be something that actually is going to release, like like something needs to like... You know, like mm-hmm. pull the pin, right? Like, okay, this is like, this is going, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it doesn't make sense to me that there would be people out there that would be like, well, you don't have to actually have an orgasm to do this. And I'm like, you kind of do, because if you don't, in essence, aren't you basically just raising a whole shit ton of energy and then bottling it up? Which, you know? I mean, if that was like the purpose of your working. What would that look like, though? I, in what situation would you do that, though, I guess? Um, 
Like if you were maybe, okay, so I, so, okay, I asked that question. Okay. So now I'm going to pause it. Like, okay, like, okay, what about this? Tell me, I want you to tell me. What, so, okay. So you say like, if that were the purpose of the working, so in, in just like a, for instance, say like you were doing sex magic to enact some type of maybe let's say like self healing uh-huh. where you raise the energy, but because of the nature of the, of the working, you don't really need to send that energy off. Okay, to another direction, you can pull that energy back in. Uh-huh. So in a situation like that, and that would be almost, I would think, like almost like tantric, yeah. right? Um, where you were actually pulling that energy and rating that energy inward mm-hmm. rather than experiencing like, I, I don't want to say an external release, but, um, but you know, say the type of release that I think would be more commonly attributed to orgasm. Yeah. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Because yes. I'm trying to figure out under what circumstances you would be working where you like, you're like, well, I don't really need to, you know, there doesn't need to be a release, I guess. So like, that, what do you... that most definitely. Okay. Or maybe, okay. um, maybe even some sort of, uh, empowerment. Maybe. I don't know. I, I guess there might be certain circumstances, but also oh, well, yeah. how, how, how unsatisfying is that? Well, remember, it's not about the orgasm. I know it's not right? about the orgasm, um, but still. So the orgasm is is a is a tool. The orgasm is is the the mechanism for the release of the energy, right? Yes. So yeah, but I think about that sometimes though when that conversation has come up in the past where I've been involved with someone around that where I've been like, no, you kind of need to have that orgasm because that physical release, that physical thing is what is going to kind of trigger or overlap or spill into what can happen on a more etheric or abstract energetic slash spiritual level. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like we're, we're talking about a case of like, alternatively, you're, you're, you're going to end up with like what spiritual blue balls. Is that what happens? Um, which is lame and stupid. And I mean, I'm just going to say, as an absolute aside, you know, like, men, gentlemen out there, people with testicles, if you are, are still pushing the idea that you, you, if you do not get satisfaction and release, that you're going to get blue balls, would you please just graduate from junior high already with that mentality? Because, oh my god, bullshit and dumb. I guess I could see another purpose for it is like raising power and storing it maybe for use later in a larger ritual setting. Yeah. But will you be able to store that? Like, like how is that, is that going to work like that? Um, I mean, if you were a gifted enough practitioner, and you knew what you're doing, you could probably store it in like an amulet or a talisman you were wearing. But even then would that, that would still be an external projection, wouldn't it? Because it's not, that's still something other than you. I guess. I mean, you could, you could still store it within yourself to use for a later time. I mean, energy is not created or destroyed. I mean, if you were transfers. if you were going to do well, exactly, yeah. No, I'm I'm trying to think of what that would look like. So I'm thinking like you could do that. Say like if you were going to attend, uh, like a pub, maybe like a not a public, but like if you were going to say you were going to attend a ritual working of some sort or a spell working of some sort that involved multiple people, right? And you wanted to go and you wanted to be kind of like say you wanted to do that, like you mm-hmm. wanted to basically like use your body as a capacitor for that energy mm-hmm. to hold on to that. You could do something right before mm-hmm. you go to that working right and then you could go and you would have potentially you could call upon that extra energy that was raised yeah but i would assume over time though that that power that energy would kind of dissipate or it would transmute back into something else right just because things don't always stay energy is always in flux mm-hmm. right it, it, it'd probably have to be fairly quick 
split would yeah i would say like you need to do it like, like and then like boom like hours. within yeah, yeah well yeah you know like or yeah or, or i would say even less depending on the person right mm-hmm. uh, but then you run into trouble there too because then you have to look at the tradition and the practice right because you've got a lot of traditions that are like yeah you need to like be pure and you need to have taken like a cleansing bath and all yeah. this shit before we gather so you'd have to look at how that could conflict with other practices True. so i don't know it's interesting to think about that right yeah um I want to talk about, or I want to kind of tangent away from that to um, sexual fluids, because I think that um, these are things that a lot of people get very squeamish about, understandably, right? Um, but I I also know that in so many traditions, like semen and not menstrual blood, although menstrual blood does absolutely have its uses, but menstrual blood is not technically a sexual fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but say like, like other, like vaginal fluids, these Mm -hmm. kinds of things, right. Um, these are even like the sweat that can be accumulated on your body while you're, you know, while you're having sex, right. Uh Like these are all things that your body is creating, um, or has created that hold or can hold the charge of that, that moment and that working. Right. Uh So how would you. What guidance would you give to our listeners maybe around the use of, say, like vaginal fluids, particularly those that are like, like built up in the process of actual, like having sex? Um, I actually talked a little bit about this in my magical perfumery class. I, I figured, it's, yeah. It's, we, it's we, filled with pheromones. Yeah. Filled with pheromones. Yeah. And so if, if that is collected, you could actually use that in condition oils, perfumes. You could use it on a poppet of someone who you want to attract to you. Um, you could use it in, in so many different ways because mm-hmm. it would still have that charge. And the thing is, is it will always have that charge because it is the physical result of what was happening in that moment. Yeah, And so you could use it for so many things um put a little bit in your perfume you know spray it on you or keep a little bit on you're going out to the club for that night and Mm -hmm. you're like yeah i really want to like get it on with some (laughs) some hottie mctotty then anoint yourself with that wow you and i are such nerds get it on with some hottie mctotty no you're good um and so I was thinking about other ways that you could apply this because I think there are a lot of things like bodily fluids just in general, I think. You can also use it to like mark your, mark your space. Well, that's, that's where protection. I was just, yeah, that's where I was just going to go with that. I was going to be like, so say you needed to like take ownership over a particular space. Mm-hmm. Like say you were, uh, who knows, right? Like maybe you were dealing like, uh, like with a shitty coworker. Yeah. Right. Somebody that just really could not maintain or respect like healthy boundaries with you at work, you know, somebody that was just, just an asshole. Right. And, you know, say you're, you're fortunate enough to maybe have like your own work area, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have your own cubicle or your own office, right? You can absolutely use vaginal fluid that has your personal pheromones and use some of that. And, you know, and as nasty as this might sound, right. You know, to some people, maybe I don't think this is gross, but you know, but we've been at this for a while, right? This shit's normal now, yeah. but some people might get a little squeamish at the thought that like, okay, I'm going to dab my vagina after I have sex. And then I'm going to take that. I'm going to rub that cloth or that tissue all over my cubicle and my desk area. Like, I'm going to wipe wipe the threshold of the, the doorway to my office down with this shit. That is a very simple, and a, but a very powerful way to say, this is my fucking space. Yeah. This is mine. You know, and I know another practitioner years ago, a buddy of mine who um, was involved in one of the social groups that I was in here uh, involved with for years and years ago, who also was a practitioner. Um, and he... Um, 
I remember he met this person that he really was interested in, in pursuing a relationship with. He was he was a, a gay guy. Yeah. So he met this other guy he was dating and he used a poppet of this person and he did sex magic for this person uh, to to basically try to like find, and they were already dating, you know, like he wasn't really doing anything out of line, right? Or anything that would be, you know, considered a bad or, or, or baneful kind of thing, right? Um, but he just wanted to kind of continue to make sure that like, nothing kind of got into the way of the, per, you know, to the, you know, furthering of this dating slash relationship, right? So he took a poppet and he actually like, he, he, had sex i think he just i think he masturbated but he like but he took his time and he got really worked up and he built up a sweat and he took that poppet and in addition to using some semen he also wiped that poppet i think um like around his crotch he wiped that poppet up under his armpits like basically like like that poppet was soaked in his sweat yeah and his pheromones like it was soaked in him mm-hmm. you know um and then he and he held on to that and that 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 dating and i mean that that worked very well for him but you know he continued to date that guy and they ended up getting married you know um and so that and that was you know so that to me is just another example of how we have these these cool bodies that make and do cool things for us potentially in the process of our witchcraft right yeah i mean our bodies are super gross too but um you know but in the process of our witchcraft they you know they, they they give us some some cool raw components to work with Okay, so I, I kind of like threw one out just then, but like, okay, what about semen as as a, a bodily fluid that it we could use? It would be the same thing. You'd use it the same mm-hmm. way that you would use vaginal fluid. It's just yeah. the male component of it. Yeah. Um, semen is used in a lot of old um, condition recipes, condition oil recipes. Yeah. Uh, as like a male, uh, like machismo. Yeah. Like yeah. to really amp that up and. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I, I've known practitioners who have actually collected their semen and distilled like oil from it, yeah, like an essential oil from it, and yeah, it was very weird. Sounds sounds gross, and very you, you do need to have like very particular kinds of equipment yeah. to do that. But yeah, but it happened, and you know, and it was it was them in a bottle, yeah, and all they had to do to mark something as theirs was boop, and that was it. Yep. So it's the same thing. It's, uh, I mean, if we look at the different, the different focuses, um, the vaginal fluid can be used to uh, dominate and just like the semen can, but semen is also really good for adding a lot of quick fire yeah. and energy to things. Yeah, whereas vaginal fluid is good to make things move smoothly. Yeah, I think yeah, smoothly, and also I find that vaginal fluid is very good for like um, like foundation and yeah. strength. Yeah. Where where semen is kind of like you said, more like a real quick, like I just need a real big burst of power. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah, which is I think why why they work so well together. You yeah. know, and if you are involved in a, a sexual situation where you have a, a partner that can give you a little bit of each, right? That's that's a good mix, right? Yeah. Um, but you don't have to, right? I mean, say you're you're in a same-sex relationship, right? There's no reason that you can't still utilize, you know, what you've got access to, right? And still yeah. get some really see some good shit going on, right? Almost definitely. Um, and you know, it also helps to have witchy friends, right? I mean, how many times have you and I needed something for a working where we've reached out to one of our coven sisters, right, and have said, "Hey, would you mind?" You know, and they're the first couple times it's a little weird, right? But then they realize, like, oh, it's you know, it's for the witchcraft, right? Yeah. Sure, here you go, right? Yeah, so, all right, all right. Um, let's talk about the like structuring a like a a working 
where you're going to be employing sex magic. Okay. So obviously, as with any working, right, you're going to need to... Set you, the mood. You get, well, I mean, even before that, right? you got to have the plan, yeah. right? You know, And you do want to consider your other correspondences, right? You want to look into, like, okay, like, I want to do a sex, or sex magic. I want to do a working involving sex magic, say, to help myself get a new job, right? So chances are you're probably going to want to be doing that on a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh-huh. right? Because those are really good days for new job opportunities, mm-hmm. Right, so you've got that correspondence of the planet and the day, right? Um, you want to look at maybe other indications planetary there hours. around planetary hours, the time of day, right? Um, you'll want to, um, you know, maybe create um, around the the space where you're going to be having sex, where you're going to be doing this as a part of your working. You might want to actually raise some sort of small altar space, uh-huh. right? That would also incorporate elements that you associate with new job. Mm-hmm. You could also right? anoint yourself <clears throat> with. Uh, particular condition oils. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, be careful where you anoint. Yes. With condition oils, some of them are not very nice not for sensitive them. areas do on your skin. Do not anoint them in those areas. Yes, please do not put any kind of conjure or essential oil on your penis or your vagina or any other orifice. They they do not play well with mucous membranes. Um, yeah, you putting putting them on your your you know your your head your chest your whatever is is they're still on you. You're still doing good. Okay. Um, okay. So you've planned, you've got your, your things, right? You've set up what would in essence kind of be your working area, right? Because the sex act itself is the ritual process, right? Or a component of, right? You've, of course, if you're working with someone else, you've got everybody on board, right? They all know this is what we're doing, right? I've found it is helpful because in the moment that you and your partner ideally, and I, I want to be clear on this just because we talked about this earlier, both partners or the number of people that are involved, they don't all need to like actually hit orgasm at the same time. You just need to make sure that everybody gets there, right? Um, but I do find it is helpful to have a visual focus or something tangible mm-hmm. to be able to actually connect with at the moment that you achieve orgasm so that you can immediately like transfer that energy kind yeah. of is the idea or put that energy in the thing. Right. So I find that, um, you know, again, going back to my example of a job, right? Like it might be good for you to say, to have a, who knows, like, like put your job applications under the bed. Exactly. Or even like if there, you could get a business card from a company that you wanted to work for, yeah. like have that like in the bed with you, right? Yeah. Where like you have that in your hand, right? Where it's like, boom, there, like, okay, I'm, I'm having an orgasm and I'm focusing on this card. Yes. Like this is like, this job is mine. I will work for this company. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, and those are just examples of things that you could do. Right. Um, if you want to be really simple, you could um, use a candle. Yeah. And then just transfer that energy into the candle and light that candle up. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And when you're done, if you're going to be using a candle, one of the other things I would maybe recommend is um, dress that candle with sexual fluid. Yeah. Right? Like like if you're, you know, like put some of yourself on that candle. Yeah. Right? That's because that, that, there's power there. That's you. Right? Um, yeah. And then you're going to um, basically let whatever that physical object or whatever that next step would look like kind of do its thing, depending on how you've structured your spell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, you know, say maybe like, you know, the next day, you know, like clean up your your space. Right. Don't I think people get people always get a little confused, I think, around like ritual cleanup. Right, and I think that that certainly is something like there's no rule for that. Right? No, there there are the like times it, where you'll leave a, leave it up for 
days sometimes. Yeah, you know, well, particularly with depending on the nature of the working, because sometimes it's a working where, like, you need to come back to it and do it again, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so go with your own instinct on that, and obviously, and, and do be mindful of your, your personal living situation, right? If you've got, like, small children and animals running around where you're like, I can't leave candles lit for hours on end every day, you know, then you probably need to switch things up a little bit, right? But, um, yeah, you know, and then you clean up your working, right? And then, um, and do keep, I usually tell people, like, keep some, like, either keep the visual focus for your working, like, somewhere safe, mm-hmm. ideally somewhere near you. Um, or like if like in this instance of a candle, maybe just keep like a piece of the residual wax from that candle somewhere yeah. near you, right? Um, or close and safe, right? Um, but that's that's really it. This is not a uh, this does not have to be a, a fancy or elaborate kind of production for working, right? Um, you can add extra elements and details if you want to, absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Um, I knew someone years ago who did a working where they actually. Um, they uh, wrote out the intent. They used like body paint, so I think it, it washed off afterwards. But they actually, uh, with their fingers and with body paint, they actually wrote out like the spell on each other's skin mm-hmm. while they were having sex. Like the incantation, or, like the words, like mm-hmm. I will have this thing, this thing, you know, like they did that during the act. Mm-hmm. And that was something else that also helped them to kind of maintain that focus, right? And then by the time they were done, they were both basically marked with the spell, mm-hmm. um, which I was thought, like, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, I've known <clears throat> women who have done really odd things with the candles. Uh, well, there is that too, right? You know, I mean, obviously, you don't do anything that's going to hurt you, right? But, um, but yeah, I knew I knew a woman who took a condom, put it over a penis shaped candle mm-hmm. after baptizing it for her for the person she wanted, mm-hmm. and went to town on it, and then lit it up. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah, but uh, so so it's it's I think it's. To me, sex magic is something that is, I think, it's often overlooked, and I think because we still have, like, a very immature and very puritanical view on sex as a, just a a perfectly healthy, physical, natural thing that most everybody is going to be doing at some point, right, um, I think that it's it seems silly to me not to utilize something like this in our spiritual or magical practice. I agree. Right. If you are in a relationship or who knows, maybe you're just maybe you're not in a relationship. Maybe you're just you're just a sexually active person. Right. And you're finding yourself, you know, you've got consenting partners. Right. Why not make that work for your spiritual practice? Right? Agreed. Um, because you're doing it anyway. Right. Um, so it's it's accessible and it's easy. And the majority of what you need to really to do this is already within you. Yeah. So why the hell not? Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Can you think of anything else relevant to the topic of no. sex magic? I no. mean, really, it's it's pretty straightforward. It really is I pretty think... straightforward. I think a lot of people get, can get really hooked up on timing as well. Like, well, yeah. how long? How long? Mm. How long? And okay, yeah. Really, as long as you want, as long as you feel you need to. Yeah. But you know, if it's really, really quick sex magic, and you're a pretty good witch, and you can hold focus for however long yeah. it's going to take, yeah, it's going to be fine. You know, yeah. it doesn't need to be an hour and a half of sensual massage and yeah. body oils and 
Well, the longer and, you the longer you you make something like this go on, the, the greater the likelihood is that you'll lose focus. Exactly, and it could even. Um, I mean, there are other factors that need to play, like um, like some people are on medications where it can take them a minute for them to climax. Yeah, and so you need to make sure that those things are brought into focus as well. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good conversation, I think, for any kind of magic work because you and I and you and I will disagree on this. We we always do a disagree on this, but we do when we do public rituals and when we do coven work where you're in charge of what's going on and you want to say you want to work a mill for that mm-hmm. process, you will sometimes have people milling for like 45 minutes to an hour straight. Yeah. And, you know, because you're like, it's building power, it's building power. And then there have been other times where we're like, we've done a mill for maybe like five, 10 minutes and the, the power's already there. Yeah. It's good. So longer doesn't necessarily mean better or more powerful. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. I okay. do not disagree with you okay. with that. But when you're a leading public ritual and you have all the mundanes who show up and they're just like, I don't know what to do, and you can't yeah. feel the power pulling, coalescing like it's supposed to, yes. yeah, I'm going to make people go for longer. Yes. No, no, that's fine. And in that situation, yes, that's absolutely. I'm just, I'm trying to draw a parallel here because I think there again, there's this idea that like, well, if I add more and if I go longer, then it'll be better, and not no. necessarily, not necessarily. No, I, I will tell you as having a recent experience of a three and a half hour ceremony with chanting, drumming, and dancing. A lot of power was raised, but it did not feel like three and a half hours, and that's how you can tell yeah. it was legitimate. Uh, how you, how you raised power is. It didn't feel like you were doing it that long. Yeah. Usually, is what it is like the hallmark. I think most people. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say something here, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental or critical because, as I just said, longer doesn't mean better. Um, but I. It, it occurs to me as we're talking about this that the majority of the people out there that are, are. I don't think that a lot of people out there actually really. I'm gonna. How am I trying to say this? I don't think that a lot of people out there actually have had personal experiences where, like, you say something like like a three-hour-long ritual process, uh-huh. and, like, most people have never had that. Yeah. Like, they have no idea what that's like, you know? And it's not that you have to have that, because, again, like I said, that doesn't make anything bigger or better. No, it doesn't. But th- you're, you're really in a zone when it comes to your spiritual practice, your witchcraft practice. You really are kind of on another level if you're doing ritual work that is taking hours. Yeah. You know, um, and and I don't know. It's just it's a cool thing to experience. It's not that everything that you do needs to go on like that, but you know. But if you've those of you listening, if you've never had an opportunity to get involved with a a ritual to do a ritual, particularly where the other people other people are involved, that's gonna like go on for for a couple of hours. You you should seek out an opportunity to to, to do that to actually see yeah. what it feels like. Well, and side note, um, I had some some coven sisters there with me. And we, they were surprised when people were just like taking breaks to go get water and the ritual is still going Mm -hmm. and people would step outside for a smoke break and then come back in. And they were like, this is really odd. And we talked about it afterwards and I said, one, it's a different culture, but also you have to understand we were there for three and a half hours. Yeah. Like... Well, yeah, it'd like be, the leader be, of the ritual ran out of water and then just started drinking the drinking the alcohol. Yeah. Like it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. it looks like well, um, if you you step out of the you know you step away from the altar doesn't mean that the the, the thing stops. Right? No, because it still yeah. continues to go, and then you yeah. step back in, and immediately once you step back in, you are dropped right back into where you were. Um, if you're a practitioner who's worth their salt. Yeah. So okay, all right. Um. I don't have anything more on sex magic, but I do have a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of like I said, this wasn't going to be like a, like a, a bitch sesh, 
But I, I've noticed a couple things popping up in oh dear. recent days. And I, I wanted to kind of talk about this, mainly because I think that these are important conversations to be having. And I have these conversations a lot with people in my day-to-day life. So why not visit this misery upon our, our podcast listeners? I'm sure and, they'll love it. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about, and I thought this was really interesting because I was reading something on the news this week. Um, and actually, I think this has been going on for a few weeks now. But there's this been this movement now for a while where uh, people who are um, like, you know, very politically correct, like woke kinds of people. And I consider myself a woke, politically correct kind of person. You know, I, I try, right? I see value in that, particularly as the, our culture and our, our, you know, we continue to evolve as yeah. a people, right? Um, but I've noticed in recent weeks, there's been this uh, a lot online about what they call sensitivity editing. And what that is, in essence, is it's a term that's been coined to, uh, well, so here, here's here's where it began, okay, at least most recently, right? There were a lot of people online that kind of pushed this agenda, this idea, and they started with the books by Roald Dahl, right? So Winnie the Pooh. Um, Big Friendly Giant. Yeah, right, is. yeah. I mean, Roald Dahl, Dahl wrote a lot of books, right? Yeah. Okay, um, and the whole purpose of this movement basically was like they want the publishers, the people that still own the rights to those books, they want them to go in and they want them to edit those books to remove any kind of original information that would be deemed like maybe racially incorrect or insensitive in some way to any marginalized group of people. Okay. okay. And that I'm like, okay, I can totally get behind that. Like, you know, we don't want to do anything that's going to offend anybody, right? Like, that that's shitty. We should never be doing anything that's going to hurt somebody's feelings, okay? The problem that I have with this, though, and this the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is something that also is happening in the witchcraft community, right? We have a lot of younger generational witches that are, like, picking up copies of, like, old Raymond Buckland books, right? Or even some of Cunningham's work, right? Mm-hmm. They're picking up these things where, and they're looking at that and they're going like, oh, this is, you know, this is not aged well. And they're absolutely right most of the time. It hasn't aged well, right? And yes, in a, in a contemporary practice today, no, we can't fucking talk like that and we can't think like that a lot of the time, right? Absolutely, right? But no, there's we this- We shouldn't. We shouldn't, right? But there's this part of me that's like, when you look at that, when you look at the whitewashing, because that's in essence, that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. whitewashing these things, even though we don't want to read them. Right. By editing these things, by whitewashing and by by cleaning these things up, I I see this almost as another type of of another white supremacist tool. Right. And I'm basing that off the old saying that those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. As we move forward, if we have younger generations who now have access to to Roald Dahl books that have been edited to remove all the old unpleasantness, they're going to eventually, we're going to get to a point where we have generations that have no context or no real understanding of it. Yeah, racism is very real. Yeah. And we used to live in a world where, yeah, it was believed acceptable to treat people this way. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, look at how much better things are now, right? No, though we realize they really aren't, yeah. right? But but we have progressed a bit, right? We've maybe moved forward an inch or two as it would relate to equal civil rights for people, right? You know, And so, to me, I look at it as, like, this is erasure of significant things in our past that yes we want to make sure we don't continue to do these things but we can't we can't erase this shit we can't turn a blind eye to the fact that this is somewhere in our roots in our past right Mm -hmm. because again to me what that does is you then you have situations say again a couple generations out where you've got people that are like well i've never read a book that would convey to me that white people were racist like of course you haven't because we've edited all of that shit out of the books yeah 
right? It's the to me, it's almost like it's the same thing as like like the CRT thing, right? Um, or I should say, this is the same thing as not supporting critical race theory in schools, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to teach your kids that yeah, the the founders of our country, yeah, they were all pieces of shit. They were all white, privileged, misogynistic slave owners Mm -hmm. who did a whole bunch of other horrendous things, right? And I know along the way they did a good thing here or there too, right? They got some shit right. But by, by, you know, by by white margins, these were not good people, right? But we don't want to learn that, right? We can't teach Billy and Susie that, that the white people that founded our country were slave owners because then they'll be embarrassed that they're white, Right, and that's that's the justification oh, that a lot of these that a lot of these CRT like like opponents are coming out with. They're like, well, I don't want my kid to feel embarrassed or, or, or ashamed because he's white, and it's like, no one's your child is not going to be embarrassed or ashamed because he's white. Your child is going to be empowered to make better decisions in his own life mm-hmm. because he's going to have a clearer grasp of where he's been and where the white people have been mm-hmm. right so to me it's very much the same thing and i just I, it bothers me when i think about this because i you know i'm old enough now i've been able to see through my time my, my life experience i've been able to see the different perspectives in multiple generations of people which is where i think a lot of younger people they they don't have that perspective right they haven't been able to see like 20 30 plus years and how people's views have changed in that time yeah Right. And so it's important to me, I think, that we talk about these things because I'm of the opinion that we should not be editing these things. We need to leave these things alone, not with the idea that it's then going to continue to perpetuate that belief or that that idea or that that means that it's okay, but that we need to be mindful about how we whitewash our history because Mm -hmm. all that does is empower white supremacy. No, I completely agree. I mean, if you speaking strictly in a witchcraft context, if we take books by Raymond Buckland, Scott Cunningham, you know, these people, um, and you read them, you, one, we've said this before, you need to understand the time that it was from. That does not make it better, that does not make it okay, but you need to understand that's where these people were. Okay? Um, from there, it is then you to take, it is up to you, the reader, to take that information and go, Okay, so in this book, they're talking about smudging. This white bitch is talking about smudging. What does that actually mean, and what does that actually look like? And then actually jump into um, the research vault and go down that go down that trail and see where that leads you and get that information. Reach out to other t- uh, teachers and mentors and people who have been around and seen it. Because, I mean, Mike... Mike has seen these things, and I, I mean, I I was Wiccan, you know? I've been through this stuff, and I've gone through the, like, trying to look at something and go, okay, why does this not feel right, and why are we doing it? And then going through and reading about it, researching and going, oh, that's why. Okay, well, I'm not going to do that, because on a spiritual level, I could feel that wasn't right for me. So I'm not going to do it. And I know why I'm not going to do it, because of this. You know, it is up to us and you as the readers as the consumers of this media um whatever media that is books television comic books memes whatever it is to go okay i'm now going to take this and filter it through here and i'm going to do my own research and use my own critical thinking skills to understand what this person was trying to say for example scott cunningham was really really into a lot of elemental work 
Yeah. Scott Cunningham loved working with the elements and even had two books about working with the elements. Mm -hmm. So yeah, while there's some stuff in there that's probably most likely appropriative and stuff like that, you also need to take that for what it's worth. You can take all that information and you can go, okay, so I can see where he was using this, this working and talking about this type of energy flow and I know where that comes from, but I can still achieve that same thing by doing it this way mm -hmm. and balancing this energy within myself. Just because Raymond Buckland does the creature of salt, beest thou a creature of earth, and cast out from the all impurities and cleanness, and doesn't mean that if you're a circle caster that you have to do it that way. You can go through and you can redo that. It is up to you, the consumer, to go, I like this, I know where this comes from, I'm not going to do this, and build your craft and your practice around it. It is no one else's responsibility to censor that for you. This is the equivalent of going, oh, well, I don't like the tower card because it's negative, so I'm just going to take it out. You can't do that. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. You have... No, I'm going to say you can't, because then you're not reading with a full deck of cards. How are you going to know where we were and how far we've come and where we're at now if you don't know that truth? You're not going to know it. You're, you're just not. I mean, oh God, I'm looking over at our shelf trying to find, oh God, who was the author that Azrael uh, talked about? Um, oh, Michael, uh, Michael Ford. Michael Ford. Okay. You know, you look at Michael Ford. How are you going to know that that individual is problematic? Mm -hmm. Obviously, we didn't until... Osriel told us. Yeah. And then we did a deep dive and some research and we were like, oh, okay. And we used our critical thinking skills, mm -hmm. right? But you can still take the information from that book and go, okay, I can see where this person was going. I don't like this person. I don't like this author. I don't want to support them. Don't feel bad that you purchased this thing because mm -hmm. you didn't know. Yeah. And then go, how am I now going to take this and with my own self empowerment and my own knowledge move forward? forward with my practice okay. it is not up to anyone else to do that for you that is on you yeah that's true well i also i think it, it comes down to a lot of people do this i think because we're very concerned about you know being sensitive right i mean they yes. call this sensitivity editing right um you know and i guess there's another part of me that's kind of like okay if you're such a delicate little flower that you can't read a book that is going to give you a very clear indication of the biases and the, the bigotries of prior generations of people, if you are such a delicate little flower that you cannot handle that shit, you have no fucking business trying to be a witch. No, because how often were witches oppressed? Well, it's not even about the witchcraft at that point. I'm thinking, like, witchcraft is fucking hard. Yes. And it takes a lot of personal work. Yes. And it takes a lot of shadow work and having to look at ugly right in the face. Yes. You know, and if you're not prepared to do that, you have no business trying to be a witch. No. You know, and, you know, and yes, I think that it's just, it's ridiculous to me. That you've got these people that are like, well, if it's unpleasant, I don't want to want to be involved. And it's like, well, good luck. Good luck with that. So want on one hand, like the other you're, you're not you're not going to make much progress with that because sooner or later you're going to hit ugly well, and you're going to need to be prepared for it. So I'm just like, when did we people be start becoming such fucking little little, little delicate flowers? It was when everyone started getting participation trophies for doing the bare minimum. Well, you know, and, uh, and that makes me sound old, bitter, cynical, and jaded, and I totally get it. Now here's the thing. This sounds very similar to well, I can't be held responsible for my choices and my actions because I'm bipolar. 
no, 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 no. That's not how this works. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm struggling to or, find the connection or there. you can't do this. I'm on a diet, so you can't have that donut because I'm on a diet. Okay. It Removing and editing these things so that other people, so that your feelings don't get hurt, Mm-hmm. Is is the equivalent of that? Just because someone's eating a donut in public and it's making you uncomfortable because you're on a diet and you really want that donut doesn't mean that person who's eating the donut should stop eating the donut. Okay, I mean, I, mean, I can see where you're going. That that's my brain broke. That's a slightly different dynamic. But I know, I know you're good. You're good. I, I can see where you were going with that. Um, but I but I don't think that's the it. I I you know honestly, I'm sure everybody that finds themselves you know, potentially in this situation or doing this thing, right, or in support of this, these kinds of ideas, right? I'm sure that they all have their their own motivations for there's doing a, it, right? There's a difference between sensitivity and compassion. Uh, yes. There is sensitivity. Compa- compassion does come with sensitivity, yes. But there's sensitivity to the extreme point where someone breathes incorrectly and you have a mental breakdown because mm-hmm. they're now angry at you and life is horrible. And then there's compassion, where you can look at where these, where certain authors were, and again understand this was the world they were in. That doesn't make it right, but it is now up to me to be better. Well, yeah, and I, I guess ideally, like that would be what I would like to see people do in situations like this. It's like you know, read the old thing that is wrong and shitty and racist or who knows, bigoted in whatever sense of the term, right? Hateful and ignorant. Read the thing, but then at that point acknowledge it for what it is right this is what this is this is the time that how this person lived how many people lived where the world was at right you know and rather than going this made me feel bad i don't want to read this book they should change this rather than doing that making that decision within yourself say like this is going to galvanize my belief and my effort that there the world go. will continue to change and that we will not continue to accept and to tolerate these ideas there you go right i mean that's that's how that's how mike and i teach we've learned what is unacceptable and have experienced these things and therefore teach our students who are the current and next generation of witches to not do these things I don't know. I just it's a, it's the weirdest thing to me and I, and for our listeners, I I you know, I I want you to indulge this additional conversation, this additional piece, but I I really I want you to think about that, you know, particularly as it would relate to information that you're taking in around your spiritual practices and your witchcraft. I really I want you to remember that witchcraft is sooner or later you're you're going you're going to bump into ugly or, or 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 bad. And in that moment, you you need to make sure that you look at that situation honestly and that you have the strength and the reserve within yourself to move through that situation, Um, you know, and not in the process also become ugly and bad. Um, But I also know that we we need to be, I think, more careful about how we look back on these things and decide, oh, we need to clean this up. Oh, we need to make sure we change this. We don't want people to to continue, you know, because we're... We're, we're making a bigger problem for ourselves later on and we're enabling the people who really ultimately are behind all of the hate and intolerance in our world to to be able to continue to behave that way okay. right we can't sweep this shit under the rug we need to look at it and we need to be up front mm-hmm. um in a slightly connected conversation i want to talk about disappointing people within the witchcraft community and i'm not going to name names because my understanding is, is that they are a bit litigious 
and they like to issue threats. So I'm not going to name names, but anybody who's in the know is going to know that in recent weeks uh, that a, a, I would say not a fairly well-known, because I'll be completely honest, before all this blew up, I had never even heard of this person, but apparently a lot of other people think that he is just the bee's knees, even after it's come out that he said some really horribly transphobic and racist shit. Um, and like I said, I don't really want to go there, okay? But in bringing this up, because this is something else that's kind of been on my mind in the, in the last couple of weeks, is that I think that once again, this is a reminder that we all need to be very careful about who we trust uh -huh. when it comes to the people that we decide are our mentors and teachers and elders. Mm -hmm. And once again, this was a reminder to me that anybody who has been a part of the witchcraft community for a time that has made a name for themselves. If there is a component of that person, like if they've, you see this happen a lot, I think more with new age, but it does happen in the witchcraft community as well, where you've got these personalities that like, they basically like proclaim themselves like, well, I'm the witch king mm -hmm. or I'm the biggest, baddest, blah, blah, blah. That to me kind of is again, another sign or should be a sign to you. Like this person yeah, they're probably more of an asshole than they are a powerful witch, you know, and whatever it is that they might really have going on as it would relate to their witchcraft, that might be 25% of what I'm actually getting because the other 75% is con artist and bullshit yeah. and ego and bluster. Do I know who this person is? You absolutely know who this person is. We talked about this person before you left on your trip. Oh. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, not going to, like I said, go there, but I, I was looking at some of what has come out about this person recently and then looking at the website for an event that they host in new orleans each year and was uh very disappointed with some of the names of the people that i still saw presenting at that event and that's tricky given the concert conversation that we just had right because mm -hmm. that one person who organizes an event turns out to be a racist and transphobic piece of garbage like a, like actually a trash human being mm -hmm. should not necessarily cast a shadow over that event. But I will say that with some of what came out, particularly with some of the old racist stuff that was this person kind of dropped on Twitter and it's been a while, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that their views have changed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that I was very surprised to see that an event that is hosted and, uh, and is really kind of primarily centered in new Orleans has, I think, two presenters that are people of color like if you go to the, the the website for the event there's a whole lot of white faces there mm -hmm. and i'm like this is new orleans you know and it's not specifically like a say like a hoodoo or conjure oriented kind of an event mm -hmm. but i'm like okay if you're trying to convince the world that you're not an ignorant and bigoted piece of shit why, why aren't you doing a little bit more to like maybe have some diversity here in what's going on with your event right um, so I don't know. I just thought that was odd and I'm not trying to like make something out of that that isn't really there. Right. But, uh, but I just, I thought it was odd. It struck me as odd, you know? Um, but again, back to my point, like we just, we need to remember that we need to, we need to just be very careful with who it is that we, we put on pedestals as it would relate to our, our, our community quote, you know, brat quote unquote community elders. Um, <laughs> I, I'm there still, is nothing elder yeah. about this person. I have. Well, let's not let's not belabor the person because really, right now, people people who are hearing this, they're either going to know who we're talking about or they're not. And I don't want to irritate our listeners by not giving them like clear detail on who this is, um, because it, this person is just a one instance of this kind of nonsense that happens in the community. 
you know so remember that remember your your teachers your 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 elders your your mentors whoever they may be if this is somebody who is all ego all the time you you really owe yourself better you need to find another teacher or another mentor um and i don't know just that particular situation i think what bothered me the most about that is that this is somebody who has made I, i think a lot of alliances in the community by basically being a um what would you call it a um a convenient ally mm-hmm. to a lot of marginalized communities yeah. but when the shit hits the fan as this often happens to a lot of like white people in particular and don't get me wrong i know a lot of people listen to the podcast and a lot of y'all are white you know i'm not trying to crap on the white people any more than i already do but i've noticed that a lot of white people who claim to be allies to who knows like you know it could be whatever marginalized community right you know even other white people right but other but white people who are part of marginalized communities you know like you've got straight people that claim to be allies to the people who are on the lgbtq plus spectrum right or or community Mm -hmm. right as soon as those people do something that like where they make a mistake right like they dead name somebody or they fall back on old racist views they, they let a microaggression slip they do something like that right well that makes it kind of clear like oh wow you still have a little bit of room like we're not saying that you're a bad person but you obviously still have a little bit of room to grow here you know and they get called on that right they get called in i think they say now rather yeah. than being called out they're called in like hey this is a chance for us all to learn mm-hmm. so that we can all keep growing and be better right instead of doing that instead of taking the you know that hit to their ego they double down instead of just apologizing and apologizing and saying and i'm, I'm gonna to do better i said this i really i didn't mean to mm-hmm. i'm so sorry you know and i, I promise i'm gonna I, I will make sure i do not do this again this is not my view you know and in handling it in a responsible way they double down and they behave in a way that completely betrays that they are a a, a convenient ally mm-hmm. right that they're only an ally because it is politically expedient mm-hmm. or it it is benefiting them in some other way for people to see them as an ally yeah. right which is what this person did yes right they they were immediately called on all their shit and the first thing that they did is double down and say well people are just too woke they hate me it's all the liberal leftists and they now you know and i'm i'm beginning to think more and more that the conservatives have it right and that we just have become too woke and i'm like you're a gay dude in america what the fuck you're gonna ally yourselves now with the conservative idiots who want to do away with us throw us into camps kill us because somebody said that you were a racist and you probably had a little bit of room to grow or a transphobe i should say and had a little bit of room to grow what yeah it was very upsetting to me and it just confirmed to me once again that white gay men are also the weakest link um do better white gays do better um anyway that was all i had i just i just i needed to i needed to vent those things they've really been on my mind get the bile out i do you know and it's weird because of late i'm i'm like i'm brimming to the top with bile and it's getting very very hard for me to keep that under wraps i just my my view and my perspective of just humanity in general right now is just so low I said to someone the other day, I was talking to Tabitha, or was it Tabitha? No, it wasn't Tabitha. Who was it? It was Chris. I was talking with Chris the other day while he was in the store, and we'd had a particularly difficult experience with a crazy person who decided to pick a fight with Vlad. And when I say crazy, I don't mean like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but this person was fucking nuts. And in addition to being a crazy person, they were also a thief. 
And Vlad kind of took them to task. And instead of going, oh yeah, I should probably do the right thing here, they decided to instead just amplify the crazy, you know? And, you know, and I, I took care of it. I had to, you know, I'm the business owner, right? I took care of it. But I was talking about that experience with Chris and I was like, basically griping and like, oh my God, it just seems like more and more like these are the people that are out there more and more every day. These are the people that are out there. This is what the world is becoming. And, you know, and just in my, my typical like nihilistic and, and fucked up antisocial kind of way, I was like, I wish murder were legal because I got a long list of people. And that sounds really shitty. I'll admit it's shitty. It's fucked up, but I'm more and more, that's kind of just how I feel. I'm like, oh my God, if I could kill this person and get away with it, oh God, would I? I think we all have those things. I think we do, but that's becoming like my day lately. Like that's it. Like that's, that's life right now. And it's, it's unhappy. I need to figure out how to change it. Maybe I need to up my meds. Who knows? What's therapy going to do? Oh my God. Here we go again. Okay. Anyway, that's our episode. Have a good night, everyone. Therapy helped me figure out how to kill people and get away with it. I hope it will. That's our episode, everybody. Um, we'll be back next week with, um, we have a lovely guest next week. Our guest next week is, um, you know what? Since since he's going to be on, oh, we're just going to drop his name. We have Thumper Forge on next week. Fivefold Path? Yes, the Fivefold uh, five Law. Fivefold Law. The Fivefold Law. Um, Thumper is a, a published author. And um, a, a gentleman who, who has, uh, he, he's been writing for, for Patheos for, I think, a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a close connection to, I think, uh, Jason Minky, a couple of other authors. Um, he has written uh, and has contributed to the um, the book that just came out. Oh, my gosh. It was the uh, accompanying book to the... Uh, the it's we- the Gorgon's we- Manual to Magical Resistance. Yes, exactly. Yes, um, he uh, is, is a published author. He's got um, a, a, a chapter in that book and I mean and he, he's written other things um, and he's he's just a very fun person and yes. he's got a really cool online presence uh, but he is going to be on next week and we are going to be talking about I think really just kind of like a just a, a mix of things but we're going to be talking in the mix there we're going to be going into a little bit more on chaos magic I think we're going to be talking about discordianism which is I believe Thumper's uh, personal spiritual tradition mm-hmm. um, and there's not a lot that's known about discordianism so I think it'll be a good conversation yeah. But anyway, so next Thursday we'll, we'll, we will be back with a guest. Um, and I'm, I'm going to shut up now. Do you have anything you want to add, Austin? Happy witching. <laughs>